0: This session, I want to give us a completely different picture. God wants to use women in any way we can be used, okay? We've talked about the spirits of darkness in the last session, about how uh, there is an agenda out there and some of the ill effects of the spiritualism on the feminist theosophy and theology of the day, how that is somewhat influencing our church. But right now I want to completely shift gears and I want to talk about women ministering in the remnant church and show some of the beautiful examples of different people that really have worked for the Lord and been wonderful soul winners and um, evangelists and people. Okay, so let's, before we begin, I would just like us to bow our heads to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for needing your people. You could finish this work with just angels. You could have just not needed any of us. But thank you that we can have a little part to play in your large plan. And please teach us today how we can glorify you in all things as we study this and we look deeply into it, that you will give us inspiration and excitement about how you want to use us. In Jesus' name, amen. My first question to you is, what is in your hand? What unique gifts has God given you? He will give you matching opportunities to serve him. If you have a child in your arms that child can be a means of reaching other people and other persons, other mothers, other families. What is in your hand, God will use it. So today the devil gets us going and coming. Spiritualism, as we saw, messes up the roles and makes women dissatisfied and confuses us on scripture and so much more that we just got through talking about in our last session. And unfortunately, to my great grief, we all must agree that there has been abuse and misrepresentation of men's leadership. Um, Unfortunately, sometimes you have a man that does not lead. That is what we would call a wimp. And... Sometimes women need to stand up and help in any way we can. And this is one of the great griefs is that men are not being men and are not being the leaders that God wants them to be. Besides being wimpy, on the other extreme, you have those that are very, very dominant and abusive And have hurt women through time. And this has so damaged God's kingdom. Because people that are overly dominant and angry and and physical and all these things, it only furthers the devil's agenda. And so abuse and misrepresentation. And some people, they just get so sick of all this question, they throw up their hands and say, just forget it. I don't want anything. Don't count me out. Then the other thing is that God uses women, but all the talent that women have, they are so incredibly busy. Have you noticed that people just seem busier these days than they ever have been? You know, sometimes I wonder if the prophecy in Daniel of Running to and fro isn't just about how incredibly busy everybody is. I don't. I've, I haven't ever met somebody lately that isn't just going crazy with everything they have to do. In spite of dishwashers and and washing machines and computers and devices and all this, that's all supposed to help us. But because we have all those things, we can do that faster and then we just take on more and more and more until all of us are about going crazy and I think this also is on the devil's agenda because we are so incredibly busy everybody I talk to so what is God's response each one of us are personally responsible to our creator God made us each unique with very special gifts, and very special ways of doing things, special smiles, special whatever. And he tells us the parable of the ten talents. Do you have ten talents? Then you will have much more uh, required of you. If you only have one talent, you're still responsible for that one talent. But ten talent people have much more responsibility. So I ask you, what is in your hand? And I hope as I share some of these stories of some of these powerful women of the Lord that in bygone days, that you will take some inspiration from that. One of my favorite people is Mrs. S.M.I. Henry and what God can do with a little shy lady. She was a little girl out on the plane. Her father was a itinerant pastor that went from town to town doing his pastoring jobs and she was very very close to her father In her biography it tells of how she would jump up onto his right by him in his carriage and as they would ride around along her father would teach her from god's word taught her how to read right out of the bible and as a young child, she just soaked all this up and became this spiritual giant way down in deep. Uh, as she got into adulthood, she uh, married uh, Mr. Henry, and they had two children, and Mr. Henry died. Um, he went off to war, the uh, Civil War, came back, and was an invalid from from then on, and eventually died. And here was Mrs. Henry with these two children, no way to support herself. And in those days, there was no welfare society like we have now. But she began using what was in her hand and began writing and she wrote poetry, she wrote articles, she wrote books, she sent these all off to publishers, and she was able to uh, support her tiny family with with her writing abilities. Well, one day she tells about how she and her son were, well, her son didn't know she was following her. Her son uh, was going down the street, and... the mother noticed that he was going in this certain building and she looked over there and she said, what is that building? And she had never even noticed it before and it had these kind of swinging doors and she went over there and it looked like a repulsive building and she went over and looked and here this little boy went in there. Her precious boy went in there and she walked in, and so she said, well, my mother, I can go check on what my child is doing. And these little swinging doors, she went right in there, and what did she see but her precious boy talking to a bartender. And the bartender was saying, here, and he was holding out a dish of dirty candies to her precious boy and trying to entice him to like this place. She said everything in that room was so repulsive she could hardly stand it. It smelled bad. It looked dirty. It was terrible. This was the saloon of those days. And there was one of these saloons on every corner and the alcoholism and uh, perverseness that was really sent from the that went throughout all the towns were because of these saloons. And from this experience, she marched right over there and she knocked the candy out of her son's hand and said, if you want candy, I will get you nice, clean candy. You come with me. That was the beginning of her uh, involvement with the Women's Christian Temperance Union. The Women's Christian Temperance Union was not just against alcohol. They had a very huge ministry at that time dealing with uh, prostitutes who were being uh, abused by drunkards. Um, The families of these people who were addicted to alcohol, they were against alcohol and they eventually were successful in in, in, uh, the prohibition. But they also had a very large evangelistic thrust and Mrs. Henry shy Mrs. Henry started preaching to crowds as an evangelist for the WCTU calling people to Jesus because the basic premise of the WCTU was Christian that God would help with all these terrible habits and so she was really really very um, instrumental of working with the people in that Uh, some of the accounts of her working as an evangelist she would go into a town and people would just flock to hear her she would have 300 500 more people uh, in the in these areas and when she would have a call people would come down, their eyes streaming. They would be weeping and giving themselves to the Lord, and the whole place would, would have a revival. She was a woman of the Word, and as she studied the Word, she obeyed the Word, and she longed to share Jesus with just everybody. Well, Mrs. Esamai Henry didn't know anything about Semothe Avenus. She was a very fine Christian lady, but she didn't know about Avanus. But as she got older, her health began breaking down till she was a total invalid. She was in a wheelchair, she couldn't go anywhere. And her family brought her to Battle Creek Sanitarium. Okay? Battle Creek Sanitarium was known all over the country as a, a, a place where um, people could get better and so in hopes that she would get better they brought her to the sanitarium and she was under the care of Dr. Cress the, the lady Dr. Cress and of course superintended by Kellogg himself and so this very famous woman evangelist is now in the Battle Creek Sanitarium an Avenue Sanitarium and In her book, How the Sabbath Came to Me, it's just a beautiful book, her testimony of how she became a, a Sabbath keeper. She said, as the first Sabbath came, the Sabbath blessing descended on the whole sanitarium. And there was a Sabbath peace that permeated the place. Don't you wish all of our institutions had that same kind of... Peace that, that descends with the Sabbath day. And she was so amazed. Here she had been a woman of the word. She knew the Bible from beginning to end. And, and, but yet she had never in all of her life studied about the seventh day Sabbath. And she st- started studying it. And she saw that the Bible was very plain in what it said that the seventh day was the seventh day and she said oh my and then this huge battle started raging in her, hand, her heart should she do this what would her family say what would all of her WCTU colleagues say and all these things Mrs. Henry bless her heart began keeping the seventh day Sabbath and became a seventh day Adventist one day she was asked by the sanitarium staff to come to an anointing service. And they surrounded the, the person that they were anointing, and they were uh, praying for God to heal this person. And God put a thought in her head, ask for healing. Now, Mrs. Henry said she kind of resisted it, but then she began praying, and then she asked the rest of the group. And Mrs. Henry rose up from her wheelchair that day, healed because of praying for this other person and she became a Seventh-day Adventist that was now mobile and could now speak and could now have an impact. Well, Mrs. White was actually um, in Australia at the time. Mrs. Henry and Mrs. White never met because Mrs. White was in Australia. But, you know, they were good at writing letters back and forth. And pretty soon she heard that this great woman had joined us. And Mrs. White was so happy that now we would have somebody that had a vision for the our homes of our church and could make an impact on the the women of our church and make them strong for the Lord. And uh, Mrs. Henry and Mrs. White began having this uh, beautiful correspondence back and forth. And Mrs. Henry wrote, Seventh-day Adventist women needed to be taught how to work. They need to be set to work and made to feel responsible. And Mrs. White concurred with this, and the correspondence between the two women is just beautiful, because uh, Mrs. Henry is a good writer, Mrs. White is a good writer, and both of them share this this great urge that the women of our church... Pretty soon, Mrs. Henry gets put out on the the camp meeting circuit, and so she's going to all the different camp meetings sharing about... um, what God has, uh, her experience. And because she had such a depth of, of Christian experience, women would begin coming to her and, well, what about my Henry? What about, you know, give me all the... And she became a counselor, and she realized that really the women of our church needed something. And she began a weekly column... In the uh, in the Review and Herald, and it was called a woman ministry. Okay, um, she it, it was a huge section of the review. Sometimes a whole page, sometimes a column and a half. Sometimes, bet, and Mrs. White's letters would be sometimes two two uh, pages. And then Mrs. Henry was asked to give a sermon to the General Conference Assembly in 1898 all about a woman's gospel ministry. And she has a small book called A Woman Ministry, which is wonderful. If you ever have a chance, you see it in a secondhand store or something, snap it up right away. It's just a marvelous little book. Um, I actually went to... um, Andrews University Library went back when I was studying this and I Xeroxed the whole thing and had it bound myself so I have the Xerox copy. <laughs> In the correspondence back and forth between Mrs. White and Mrs. Henry, Mrs. White told Mrs. Henry, address the crowd whenever you can. Hold every jot of influence you can by any association that can be made the means of introducing leaven to the meal. Mrs. White was anxious that Mrs. Henry have a spiritual impact, such a giant of a person. And so she told her, address the crowd. This quote is actually in the book um, Evangelism now. You can find uh, several of the uh, statements from evangelism from the correspondence between Mrs. White and Mrs. Henry. But was Mrs. Henry for women's ordination. It sounds like it. A woman ministry. How, how, that sounds so ordination-ish. But no, Mrs. Henry was not for, she was in for every woman becoming a minister in her own home and in her own environment and in her own neighborhood and working with everyone around. And, Mrs. Henry wrote this in a woman ministry, page 38. She also said similar in her uh, general conference address. Miss SMI Henry felt she was forced into public labor because an emergency like that of a railroad smash-up was upon us as a race, and everyone who could get hold of a light must carry it out into the darkness and take a hand in the work of rescue, regardless of age, sex, or condition. Once her daughter Mary met Frances Willard. Now, Frances Willard was the top person in the WCTU. Frances Willard uh, was a very strong personality. She was the one that... put the whole idea, but she was very pro-women's ordination. She was very much a women's rights uh, person. A very good fine Christian woman, I might add, but very into women's ordination. And so Mary, uh, S.M.I. Henry's daughter, was talking to Frances Willard once, and Mary said in her uh, biography to, about her mother, she talked with enthusiasm about the wonderful opportunities for girls of my day and sounded my mind as to any latent ambition I might have to study theology and help compel the ministers to let women into their ordained ranks. Okay, so Mrs. Here's Mrs. Uh, Miss Willard working on Mary here, but what was Mary's response to that? And it's from uh, her biography of her mother. Uh, But I shared my mother's views as to the sphere of woman, and my whole child being shrank from the thought. Okay? That tells you that Mrs. Henry was not for ordination. She was not for pushing women out of the... the, I mean, putting women into the pulpit and pushing men out. This was definitely not her thing. And Mrs. Henry today is used as an example of a woman... Who made a great impact in our church, and that's very true. But you have to realize that ordination was not part of her her ideal. All right, quiz time. This picture here. Do you know anybody know who that is? Can y'all see it? Does anybody know? No, no? nobody knows. Okay gone back in time <laughs> okay. how about if i tell you who that man is Cameron. nope right. nope that is a s maxwell uncle arthur okay that is uncle L. arthur arthur maxwell arthur s maxwell yep His darling little wife standing by him is Rachel Maxwell. And everybody knows who Uncle Arthur is, but few know of the little diligent woman he married, Rachel Maxwell. She was a career woman, a brilliant editor. Uh, He was attracted to her there uh, working at the press there in England and she was one of their finest editors, I understand. But she stepped back from that post and became an influential mother of, of all those Maxwells, all right, and I'll show you some pictures of them. And since A.S. Maxwell, her very popular and important husband was always gone, the children shared that it was really mother who raised them, who reared them for the Lord and instilled in them all the things that they learned later on. I talked to uh, Stanley, his, their grandson, and have gotten some of these pictures from the family. So here's a picture of them in later years. You can see over on the left, Malcolm and Mervyn. Mervin and Pauline... These two I know very well because they uh, were members of our church. This is Stanley Maxwell. He writes all these exciting stories about prisoners and, mm. and uh, everything. The, the Maxwells have this writing genius, and it just kind of goes down through. In fact, uh, uh, Stanley's daughter now seems to have it, too. They're just so talented in writing. But, yes, here's Lawrence Maxwell. Lawrence... Uh, was editor of the Signs for years, uh, junior guide, Graham, of course, who was at Loma Linda University, and then, of course, Malcolm, who was at PUC. Um, Maureen, I believe, wasn't she like a doctorate at Loma Linda in nursing, something? Um, And I'm sure all of them are really important, but I don't know all, all the histories of all of them. But just to show that... The influence of a mother is very, very important, okay? And probably my kids will never uh, be famous like all of these people are, but every one of us have the opportunity of shaping a, a tiny child in the ways of the Lord and sharing and rearing these child children for the Lord. But, you know, A.S. Maxwell, her husband was the one that everybody knew, you know, Uncle Arthur. He was such a wonderful author, and we still use the bedtime stories and, and all the Bible stories and all that. And nobody knows what a powerful, wonderful, intelligent woman that he married. But yet, she was the one who really... Um, Shaped these children, but was happy living in the shadows. Now, sometimes we uh, think, oh, I have to get all the credit. You know, I wrote this, I know, I need this, and whatever. But there's really nothing wrong, and I just want to say it's not. It's, it's something that all of us struggle with. It's a self thing. It started in the beginning with Lucifer. We think we need credit for everything we do, and we need to be first, and we need to go up, and it's just part of sin, really, in our hearts. But there's really nothing wrong with living in the shadow. There's comfort and shade and protection. Psalm 91 tells us that the, we all need to live under the shadow of the Almighty. And there is protection, there's angels, there's, there's beauty there. And since all glory goes to God anyway, who are we? Amen. Why do we need credit for anything? Amen. Amen. It's, it's easy for us to sit in a meeting like this and say these kind of things... But believe me, when you are faced in the real world with some of these challenges of credit and somebody else gets this and whatever, there's something inside from the very depths of your soul that goes, and you just feel like that serpent that's got that tongue out, and you're just going to go get them. It's it's that serpent feeling. Uh, We can either be serpents with a, a bunch of poison, or we can be lamb-like, worm-like, and be willing to live in the shadow. And all of us need to learn humility and uh, willingness to not be first. Learn to be okay with someone else getting your laurels. Uh Uh, And what are your motives? I'd like to share with you, if you want to take out your Bibles, one of my very favorite... uh, passages it's found in Luke 17 It's not a, not a common one. People don't talk a lot about it, but it's the story of the unprofitable servant. The apostles uh, so we're going to Luke 17 verse 5 and the apostles said unto the Lord, "Increase our faith." Realizing that faith is the whole essence of where we're going and why we're in this world and that it's by faith we are, we are saved. We all want to have our faith increased. And the Lord said, if ye had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, something tiny, ye might say to the sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the root and be thou planted in the sea and it should obey you. Then he goes on with my favorite parable here. But which of you having a servant plowing or feeding cattle will then say unto him by and by when he come, is come in from the field, go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup, gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken. And afterward thou shalt eat and drink. So take care of me first, you know. Then, verse 9, does the master, doth he thank that servant because he did those things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Jesus takes the occasion to use a kind of a a bad boss, might, might you say, to teach a, a deep spiritual lesson. Here's this boss that says, "You know, me first. I got to have it all." You, you know, you've been working out hard all day, but go make my dinner. <laughs> has all of his things that he's telling him to do, and the servant does it. The guy never even says, thank you. But instead of being bitter, this person says, we are unprofitable servants. We have done, which is our duty to do. And really, the kingdom, you know, Peter Gregory talked a lot about the kingdom this weekend. The kingdom is not made out of fancy kingship, but going low and being willing to live under the shadow of the Almighty and under the shadow of anybody that casts their shadow over you. We can live sweetly, gently, thankfully, and know that through this experience, God is teaching us great and important things. So many talents means tireless labor, if we, he has asked, he will supply. If we've submitted all, we must learn to trust him. He will never ask us to do more than we are able to handle. As the will of man cooperates with the will of God, it becomes omnipotent. Whatever is to be done at his command may be accomplished in his strength. All of his biddings are enabling. I love that passage, don't you? If God asks you to do something, he'll give you everything you need to accomplish it. And it's a beautiful thing. We have another woman that I want to take a quick look at. Her name is Hetty Haskell. She was a woman of many talents, very brilliant lady. Um, her husband, uh, S.N. Haskell, I'm sorry this is overlaid like this. Uh, her husband was married to an older woman at first, uh, I don't remember exactly how many years older, maybe 15, 20 years older than he was at first. And talk about being a wonderful husband. She was, a, she was a, an invalid. And S.N. Haskell served her. But this woman was a great woman because she prayed for her husband. And all the long times when he was away, he, she was praying for him he found such a, a solace and a, a comfort knowing that his wife was spending hours a day praying for him. Uh, may I challenge each one of you? You can be a prayer person like that. What would happen if every Sabbath morning when you woke up, you started just going down the list of all your your church members and praying for them? Amen. Okay your Your small groups, do you spend time praying for it? You can pray just like that first Mrs. Haskell. She was such a, a prayer warrior, and when she died after several years, many years, uh, Stephen Haskell was just lost because he he missed this strong spiritual component well mrs uh, uh, there was this little Woman Hetty Haskell, she was a Bible worker, and he found her. She was so he went from the extreme of having a woman several years older than him to the extreme of having a woman several years younger than him. <laughs> Interesting relationships here, but Hetty Haskell, the Lord said, Ellen White through uh, said that she was just the right person for this. As she said, aging man. Um, okay. But together, they had a very wonderful soul winning institute. And some of the soul winning uh, schools that we have these days uh, used the model set up by uh, Hetty and uh, Stephen Haskell. They, they would bring in a group of young people into their home, if you can imagine, housing a group of 15 or 20 young people, okay? That was on her. And then they would train them evangelistically. The students lived in, they taught them in the morning, they would have worship with them and Both of them were excellent teachers of going deeply into the word of God. Stephen Haskell had a very uh, wonderful faith and you can read many letters going back and forth between Stephen Haskell and and Mrs. White in which you could see that he so much believed in the prophetic word and he always supported Ellen White's ministry. And you can follow... this wonderful couple as they go through uh, evangelism in uh, New York City and then in Nashville and then later on in California and always with these people, these young people in them where they, they learn the, the evangelism, the portering, the cooking school. They had they integrated health with all their things. Mrs. Uh, Haskell would teach them how to, to do the health programs as well. So Hetty, she taught, she led, she preached, but always under the godly husband. Mrs. White is very strong about ministers' wives working with their husband, and I would like to use this opportunity to to share that this is a, a very beautiful um, function a woman can serve in doing pastoral ministry right alongside the husband because, This is going out and dealing with the the members and interests and helping the husband because there's really a lot to do as a pastor. And strong women as a pastor, um, a pastor can have a strong woman as a wife, and that person can be really, really important. Ellen White says that those women need to be paid from the tithe, and that they should, you know, be free to help with all these things. Now, unfortunately, this is one area that our church really hasn't mm-hmm. followed very well. Um, mm-hmm. If we had been maybe more faithful in 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 our payment down through time, it would be less of a rebuke to us because unfortunately, we we did not do that right we have not d- done that justly and when people have had to sue in order to get right payment sue the church that that's a very sad thing for us but it, it has happened and so the the special counsel is given to minister's wife and paying i hope someday we'll see a full uh, fulfillment of this, this team ministry in our churches and that people will actually um, take note and start paying ministers' wives, those that are interested in working in the ministry. Now, when we start talking about uh, ordination, invariably the question will come up, well, Mrs. White, I mean, after all, we had a prophetess in our church. No other churches had that. And here we're behind in our, you know, recognizing women. And, and Mrs. White was good and she had uh, credentials and she was ordained and all this, that, and the other thing. And my question is is that all true? We definitely had a prophetess in Mrs. White. But let's, let's take a good look at her role. Mrs. White understood that she was a messenger of the Lord. She didn't even call herself really a prophetess, okay? She said, I'm a messenger. But if you understand, a messenger is not the important one. It's the one sending the message, okay? So if I have a message to you from Obama, it doesn't matter who I am. The message is from the president, okay? And this is how she saw her ministry, that she was a messenger, and that the message that she was conveying was not from her own authority, but it was God's authority, and God was giving the messages through her. Interestingly, she was never an elder. No one ever called her Elder White or Elder El- Ellen. Ellen. Or Pastor White or Pastor Ellen. Never. It's Sister White. Okay? That's what she, she wished. Uh, when she was writing along in her, her documents, sometimes and she'd say, Sister White says this or this. That's what she called herself. Sister White. Never Elder, never Elder White. Her authority was based on the word from the Lord. In anything she had to say, she wanted to be the invisible, the transparent medium between God and that other person. She wanted that type of an experience. Ellen White wrote many, many books. She wrote letters from the Lord to church leaders. She was a friendly and kind neighbor. If you read some of her diaries, it's, it's so beautiful to, you know, she'll talk about going out in the carriage and going to the neighbor and taking them this and seeing on calling on somebody who's sick and uh, this kind of thing. She, she was a wonderful woman. She kept long hours of writing. Have you ever noticed? She, she'll talk about being up at... Three o'clock in the morning, you know, she just got up. The angel awakened her, sometimes she'll say. Angel awakened her, and she got up and started the fire and then started writing. And truly, that is a quiet time of day where all of us can grow in the Lord, you know. But she kept long hours of writing. She spoke publicly. We already saw that she told Mrs. S.M.I. Henry, address the crowd as often as you can. And uh, she encouraged women to work for the Lord. Now, notice the kinds of roles for ministry that she advocated. She talked about home visitation to families. She talked about giving evangelistic Bible studies. These are, uh, if you look in the books, welfare ministry and evangelism, you'll find a lot on women in ministry. Uh, Then, of course, daughters of God. Talks about call portering. She talks about pastoral teams with husbands who are pastors. I just talked about that when we were talking about uh, the Haskells. She talks about teaching, and she talks about elementary school teachers, Sabbath school, camp meeting, uh, Bible classes, all these different kinds of teaching. She discusses preaching in the pulpit, uh, and she even talks about chaplains and personal counseling. So those are some of the the areas that she discusses. Temperance, leadership, and work, of course, with Mrs. S.M.I. Henry. That was one of the top persons. So this is the kinds of teaching Mrs. White approved of. Proclamation of the Gospel, Christian education, Bible instruction, exposition, exhortation, evangelism. All these you'll find in different uh, parts of her writing. But Oh, and then the witness or testimony. But what other roles were missing from her list? Notice, this is very interesting. When when somebody ever talks to you about Mrs. White and using her as an example for ordination, the three highest responsibilities in the church leadership were not on that list, okay? She didn't ever talk about women as elders or ministers. She didn't talk about... Women going out and baptizing, she didn't talk about women going out and organizing churches. These she restricted to persons with and full ecclesiastical authority. That is her own term and you can look up that term and see what all she has to say about full ecclesiastical authority. These days we want to limit authority we 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 a lot of people are talking about how. Um, we should all be, uh, maybe we shouldn't even have ordination. Maybe we should just all be on a, a plane. But no, Ellen White talked about full ecclesiastical authority. It's important to have those in leadership to give direction and for uh, the ones that God can use specifically to lead a church. Now comes the question was Ellen White ever ordained? I want us to examine the evidence. There are three ministerial licenses that I know of that still exist in the White Estate. And By the way, if you want the copies of those uh, licenses, everything I'm going to show you right now is on, on this disk. Uh, there's pictures there um, from these ministerial licenses. Now, what are ministerial licenses, anyway? Well, uh, ministers carry credentials. And this allows them to, uh, if if there's ever a a time when they need to prove that they're a pastor, like nowadays, if you go into uh, hospital parking and you uh, want the clergy rate, you show your credentials, okay? Or you can get, in the olden times, you could get cheaper train tickets or whatever and it what it does is it authorizes that person to be a leader in our church and so Ellen White carried the highest ministerial license there is no doubt about that. Our church authorized her with the highest credentials that were given to anybody um, this is the 1883 credential okay. Um, This is to certify that Sister Ellen G. White of Battle Creek, Michigan, an ordained minister, do you see that red circle right there, in good standing in the Michigan Conference of Seventh-day Adventists and is authorized to perform the duties of said office for the conference year commencing October 1st, 1883, and then it has names, et cetera. Okay. Okay. So sometimes somebody will say, well, look at, see, it says she's an ordained minister. That's the end of the, the discussion right there. Yeah. So what she ordained? We have another credential, 1880. Oh, here, this is, I just uh, blew it up down here so you could see a little bit better what it actually says. 1885 credentials. This is to certify that Mrs. E.G. White of Healdsburg, California is an ordained minister of Seventh day Adventists and is authorized to perform the duties of said office for the conference year December 1885 by the order of the conference. Now, this one is a very interesting one because from where you're sitting it's a little hard to see, but if you you can get down close. You see that each little letter, O has a line through it, R has a line through it, D has a line through it, A. Each it's each letter is, is knocked off. It isn't a straight line through it, but each little letter is. So what this is saying is she's a minister in good standing, but it says she is not ordained because somebody very nicely knocked that off, Okay. 1885, this is after 1883, saying she was an ordained minister. So 1885, she was an ordained. Now, 1887, we again have the same thing, that Mrs. E.G. White of Healdsburg, California, is an ordained minister... And good standing in the General Conference of Seventh day Adventists and is authorized to perform the duties of said office for the conference the year commencing November 1, 1887, by order of the conference. And you got G.I. Butler and Uriah Smith. Okay? Now, this one, there's no little lines through that. Okay? It says ordained minister. So, what do we make of all this? You know, 1883 ordained 1885 not ordained 1887 ordained again so was she unordained in 1885 or you now did somebody just not mark through was ellen white ordained this is a puzzle but there's something that is very very clear to answer this question okay and that is the 1909 biographical information sheet this is sent out by the General Conference, and it's part of the, quote, permanent record, okay? And so you see here, the full name, Ellen Gould White, Uh, the usual form, Ellen G. White. Date of filling this blank, March 5, 1909. When did Ellen White die? 1915. 1915, so how many years is this before she dies? Six. Okay, so it's almost to the end. Her ministry is almost over, okay? And so we're going to look at this and see what it actually says. And it goes through in her address and place of birth and all that kind of thing. But we come to a place there. Number 19 says, if ordained, state when, where, and by whom. What is there? An X, Okay. An X. So this is enlarged there, and here is the X there. Okay. So, nothing. An X. What do you think an X means? Nothing. Okay? Okay. If you ever had a question about what X means, let me show you what it means. Because (laughs) number 26 says, if remarried, give date and to whom? And again... X. Was Mrs. White remarried? No. no. And so she, that was her way of filling out and saying N-A not applicable. Oh, she filled this, out herself. this is all her own handwriting. Oh, okay. oh, wow. This is her handwriting in this. Okay? Wow. And so Mrs. White herself said when somebody asked her in this biographical when date of ordination? X. Not applicable. Date of remarriage, X. Not applicable. She was never remarried to anybody. So it, are we clear on whether Ellen White was ordained or not? It's very clear from the historical evidence. Now, what do you, let's go back to the ordination certificate. So what? why would sometimes she be crossed out and sometimes left in we don't know that's the bottom line somebody didn't cross it out and she, she carried those credentials those were actually what she carried but we know that she was never ordained from her biographical info sheet Ellen White had great longing for women to work for the Lord and notice what she said in welfare ministry. Women can, in, can do in families a work that men cannot do. A work that reaches the inner life. They can come close to the hearts of those whom men cannot reach. Are women important to God's ministry? They are. They're very essential. They can reach a whole segment of the church or the public that men can never reach. Yes, women are very important. Evangelism 491 says, Through the exercise of womanly tact and a wise use of their knowledge of Bible truth, they can remove difficulties that our brethren cannot meet. Things that men cannot do, women can do. So yes, we need to work together This is a a job that takes every hand, every soul, every person involved. That's what the priesthood of all believers is. We're all in this together. We work together with our highest and our best efforts. And Ellen White was certainly very, very into having women do their best for the Lord. So, in conclusion, I just want to ask you, what is in your hand? Men, women, all of us. Moses out on that wilderness, when God asked him, what is in your hand? He had a staff, and he said, throw it down, and it became a snake. And that became something that he could use to prove God's godhood when he was talking to the king later on, the pharaoh. In the same way, what do you do? What do you have? You're in places that your pastor will never go. And you can do everything for God's work in the same way. You don't have to have hands of ordination laid on you to do that. Each of us If God has given you the gift, then he expects you to use it. Spiritual gifts are very important. They don't prove that we have to have ordination. God has already ordained us by giving us that gift. And we can use it all to God's glory. Let's pray. Kind Father, thank you that you trust us with a tiny part of your great plan And just now, we each one of us wish to give both our hands and our hearts to you to be used as you see fit for furthering your gospel. And just now, I want to ask each person here to recommit themselves totally as unprofitable servants. Not necessarily getting any credit for anything, but knowing that we are working for you, the great I am. And thank you for coming to be with us this morning. Bring us back later on. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio,